Welcome back to episode 134 of Chess Journeys, Tales of Adult Improvement. Here on Chess Journeys, we love to explore the glories of raiding gain, but we also dive into the more realistic plateaus, and sometimes we take a look at the pits of despair. If you want to support the show, you can go to Patreon Chess Journeys. I want to thank our queen-level supporters, our new supporter, Mike Rabeshi. Uh, then we have Blundergoat, Tim Everett, Scott B4D6, Joe, Matt Bush, Jay Garrison, Donna Rich Burgess, Brandon Hallside, Jeff Peterson, Tobias Rex, Bob Berger, Nicholas Harrigan, Rich Bradley Fenner, Fletcher Ray, Nathan Peterson, Christian Glaw, and King-level supporter Ian Samples. Sometimes when we have guests, and uh, I know you'll have questions for them, I ask you ahead of time, and, and Ian Samples has a question this week. Spoiler. Uh, if you want to appear on the show, a great way to do that is fill out the Google form in the show notes or uh, submit something via Twitter, send me a DM. Those are great ways to do it. And if you're interested in getting better at chess, well, you can use Noel Studer's Next Level Training Program. And there's a code in the show notes to support the show. It supports the program. Everyone wins. All right. Well, this week, we're going to do something interesting. We're bringing in Nate Solon. I believe this is his third appearance. He's everything. He's a chess trainer. He's a tournament champion. He's an FM. He's a father. And now he is the head coach of the new chess gym. And today we're going to examine my training program that I've come up with this year, catch up with Nate, uh, get his advice, and talk about the chess gym. So, Nate, welcome to the show, and have you had a chance to play any chess yet today? Yeah, I was just I was just thinking about that. I didn't prepare in advance, but as you were speaking, I remember you asked everyone that. And yeah, I played a, I played a few Blitz games on my phone, mm. one when I was waiting for my sandwich at the at lunch okay so yeah i've got a, a couple blitz games today okay i was really hoping you were gonna say i remembered you're gonna ask me so during your intro i played a bullet game that's where i thought that was going <laughs> yeah just well, ex excuse me let's let's pause the the podcast i have to convert this end game <laughs> uh when you say blitz what what's your time control well mostly three zero you know that's where you kind of okay can find the most volume of games uh so yeah i'll play three zero um title title tuesday i like to play when i can although i haven't managed to find time on tuesday for a little while that's three plus one uh okay. so similar okay yeah title two playing and losing in title tuesday is like my dream so we'll, we'll see if one day <laughs> well, you better lose or cram next come after you <laughs> i what i really need them to do is just make a new title for 1800s and then I can strive for that, and then I can play Title Tuesdays in eighteen hundred. That, that's they my do have, they do have an I believe an Untitled Tuesday. They do, and it is yeah. fun. I've played in it, but it's not the same, right? Like I know yeah. I'm not going to play Kramnik. He he doesn't he doesn't play in that one. At least I don't think he does. Maybe he has a Smurf <laughs> account. Not yet. Just so he can crush everybody. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, when you play these three O games, are they just kind of throwaway games? Are they way like games to tune up your openings, or do you like sit down and and really go over them or anything? Um, there have been times when I have used them deliberately as as a sort of improvement strategy, and I do think they work for that. I mean, I would for for most players, I would recommend um, you know, if you want to use Blitz to improve, I ideally something slower three plus two five plus three play five plus five i mean i think these are all mm -hmm. better uh from an improvement perspective but um you know at like in in the sort of rating range i'm at those 
it's kind of it can be kind of tough to find anything other than three plus zero. And I do feel like when I actually go through the process of reviewing the game and updating my opening files and all that, I do actually get a lot out of it. Um, okay. Lately, I haven't been finding the time for a whole lot of focused blitz sessions, but uh, it is mm. something I, I like to do when, when I can find time for it. Okay. Do you think 3.0 is more popular just because it's harder to cheat at 3.0 and it just feels like, is that part of it or just people like 3.0 at your level? I think it's really just that it's the fastest time control that is technically considered blitz ah, okay. on the site. So it, it just seems like people tend to gravitate towards the fastest mm. time control at any, um, you know, any, any category. So I feel like if, you know, if the sites had just arbitrarily cut off blitz at four plus zero, that's what we would all be playing. Uh, but, you know, for whatever reason, it's three plus zero, which is it is a little bit weird because it is, you know, on both chess.com and Lee Chess is considered blitz. But honestly, it's like three plus zero is right on that borderline with bullet where. Mm -hmm. Like mouse skills are very important. Um, you can sort of you can approach it as like an esport where you really are playing for flagging from move one. And some <laughs> people have a lot of success by doing that. You know, that's. That's part yeah. of this whole Kramnik thing. You know, I think some people just sort of bring their normal chess game and hope it's good enough. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a strong player, you can do that. But you can also lose to people who are a lot worse at chess than you are and are kind of maximizing for that format a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I play 3-2 currently. And Nate, I, my suggestion is get worse at chess. I have no problems finding opponents. It's not an issue at all. There's plenty of people down here. Yeah, I do think, you know, if you want to improve, you want to have a real chess game, having that increment is nice because that does um makes it less of a clicking contest. You know, someone's not going to flag you in a position where they're like down like a whole queen and you're just, you know, moving in for the checkmate. Yeah, exactly. I, I, to me, I, I like that more. Um, All right. So you, you haven't had a chance to play like long blitz sessions. You've got a little blitz in. Uh, Last we talked, I believe it was fresh off your victor at the Alto. Have you played in any tournaments? Have you done a lot of training since then? Uh, what What's life been like? Yeah. Um, well, I actually just played an over-the-board tournament this past weekend. Nice. It was in the Nebraska Class Championship, which we kind of had it back-to-back. -back. I, I don't know why exactly they did it this way, but it was at the end of the year 2023 and beginning of the year 2024. So we, we kind of just ran it back. Um, but that was cool. I was play, planning to play in... Um, Another tournament in, in Charlotte where that Alto tournament was, um, the one I was going to play was in January. I think it was like, was it like the North North Carolina Open or I forget the name of it, but it was it looked like a really cool tournament. It had um, several grandmasters, so I was excited about it. But um, we had a massive snowstorm in in Nebraska, and and oh, wow. I was not able to get out. And then actually, it turned out that I. The next day I found out I had COVID anyway. So oh it was like, it's kind of like bad luck, good luck. Like, yeah, you know, I wasn't able to get on the flight, but then um, if I had been out there, I guess I would have just had to like quarantine in the hotel room. I don't even know what I would have done, but it That's wouldn't terrible. have been good. You could have just been like most people and played with no mask on and just, you know, go that route. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not super down with that. I feel like if you, you know what? It's like if you have COVID, or really if you're sick, maybe just yeah, don't play, or at least at least mask. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I've had some tough experiences lately with that. 
opponents who are very clearly sick and one of them most memorably had a mask on and then just took it off halfway through and was like, it's just, you know, I just can't do it anymore. Just coughed at me the whole time. Yeah. I mean, you definitely encounter that with little kids a lot, but I mean, even yeah. with adults, I kind of, I mean, that's what everyone has always done. I feel, I kind of feel like, you know, now that we've gone through this whole like global pandemic, can we kind of be a little more careful? That's, <laughs> that's what I would like to see, but I don't know. People are just going to probably keep doing what they always do. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you were probably really devastated and, and depressed if you've been planning for this big tournament. You make all the plans, the hotel, and then suddenly you can't go. Um, I imagine it felt a little bit better, I guess, having COVID. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was a weird experience because I had actually I just I was so busy and I had so much else going on that I was almost thinking about voluntarily withdrawing just because mm -hmm. I was getting really stressed. But then it ended up being a really weird experience because I, I went through the whole thought process of am I going to play or not? I decided I would play. I got myself all psyched up to go. <laughs> then then I went to the airport. They boarded the plane and it was one of those where we were all sitting, uh, you know, on the runway for two hours. Wow. And then they they took us all off. And I was like, you know what? Um, <laughs> I don't think this is this plane is going to take off today. So I just got my refund. Yeah. And went home. I think the plane the plane actually did fly like much, much, much later that night. So I could have got into my hotel room in Charlotte at like three a.m. or something. But uh, <laughs> you would have been ready to roll the next morning. <laughs> yeah. So then I was kind of disappointed, but then obviously it turned out I had COVID. So I sort of dodged a bullet randomly. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting to hear you wrestling so much because one of the things. I appreciated that maybe it was just something I read on Twitter is that like, or I think you talked about it last time that you make your decision on what tournament you're going to play like months ahead. And then that way you've taken that decision-making process out of it. And I've tried to emulate that. And it's been really challenging sometimes for, for exactly the reasons you're talking about, right? Like I'll make a decision ahead of time. I'm going to play in this tournament, but then I'm not feeling good or something like work was really hectic that week. And I, I don't feel on my a game. And I often wonder, like, should I just go through with it? Should I not go through with it? So I don't know. It sounds like you still wrestle with that a bit. Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to deal with by registering for Virginia. That, that was the other thing about this. I had not done that with this tournament. Um, I had just seen, I think Dan in the chess gym um, post, you know, posted something about it. And I was like, oh, this like this tournament looks cool. Like the this lineup looks really cool. Maybe this is one of my last chances to play before this baby gets here. So, so it was, it was a sort of rare last second uh, sign up for me, but then also a last second, not can't, can't go. Um, yeah, whatever. But, uh, that, that one was sort of a, a kind of emotional roller coaster, which is really what I'm trying to avoid. Like I want to just know what's coming so I can just prepare and go play the tournament. Yeah. So how the Nebraska class championships go? I guess both of them I'm asking about. Yeah. So I, I actually, I, I did manage to win both. Um, this more recent one, I would say my games were less convincing. You know, something I've been noticing lately in training games and also in this tournament is, uh, I haven't really been able to, uh, out, you know, outplay, demonstrate my superior understanding to my opponents. It's kind of back and forth. And then, so far lately, I've been getting by just kind of on street smarts, like, hmm. you know, maybe at the critical moment, I've I've built up a little more time on the clock. 
I'm a little more resilient. You know, at some point I managed to trick them or find a tactic, but it's not like, you know, a model game that, that you put in the strategy books. It's like, yeah. here's how you exploit an isolated pawn. It's like just kind of back and forth and back and forth. And yeah, my, my tweet about that was like, chess books teach you fencing, but, but OTB is a knife fight, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I, that seems really, I think how it goes like that, like with, so with this, these chess gym exercises that we've been doing, um, I get to see a lot of players answers. And one thing that stands out to me is um, a lot of people, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have pretty, have good understanding, but, you know, maybe, maybe just miss, miss a resource for the opponent and, Mm-hmm. Often, real competitive games, they don't really come down to chess understanding exa- exactly. It's just like being a little bit, bit more alert in one moment, continuing to fight hard, like into the third and fourth hour of the game, managing your time a little better. Just kind of these competitive aspects out, you know, not really exactly part of the strategy of the game, but those things outside and around the strategy that often decide the game. Yeah, I, I agree. I've been I've been feeling that a lot more recently. I played a game this last week, and on the first nine moves, my opponent moved the same night six times, and so I was just kind of like, this, "This is the yeah, Kubov Napomniachi." I saw this game, <laughs> but I didn't. I played regular chess, and so I was like, "Okay, this is ridiculous." Clearly, I understand the game of chess better than my opponent. Right? Like, you just don't do this. But they were playing with the white pieces, and I was playing the Karo Khan, so I certainly wasn't, you know, playing an opening that could punish somebody for wasting time. I just had to set my pieces up in a logical manner, and I did. But I just couldn't shake kind of what this idea that you're talking about, that, like, because I've demonstrated better knowledge, I should just be able to win. And so I, like, shifted into a more aggressive mode that was not warranted, that was just, like, you know, the fencing manual says when they play slow, you go fast, right? But the street fight says, hey, man, he can waste time with his knight if he wants, as long as nothing terrible happens to him. And it was a really interesting conversation with my coaches we're going through with this game. And he's like, I just don't understand what you're telling me. Like, you're telling me he wasted time, so now you should get to attack him? That's not how chess works. You, you don't get granted rights in chess. You do what the board tells you to do. And the board does not say made his king. And it was just it was just fascinating to look at it like in, in not in the heat of the moment and just being kind of like, wow, what, what am I even doing here? Like, this makes no sense. Yeah, I think a, a lot of players tend to overestimate how hard they should be able to punish their opponent for certain kinds of opening mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, they go out of the book, they play quote unquote, the not right move, but you can actually get away, you know, as long as like, you're not severely weakening your own position, you're not blundering tactics, you're not giving away material in some openings, you can get away with some pretty weird looking stuff. And it might not be the best, but it might not be objectively like really all that bad as far as how much it really hurts your position. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and in the end, it was funny, even after, after move nine, when he moved his knight for the sixth time, my coach is like, let's be objective for a moment here. He has no pawn weaknesses. You have one. He has the two bishops. You don't. If anyone's winning, it's him. It's not you. Like, just because he played weird doesn't mean you're magically winning. And that was, that, was, that was a hard moment for me to really reckon with and be like, yeah, no, you're you're totally right. 
So yeah, chess chess is definitely a knife fight. You are you're definitely right on that one. Yeah, it can be hard to uh it, it it's tricky to learn those sort of knife, you know, it's like I don't know how you learn a lot of those skills other than being in a lot of knife fights, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's why playing is so important. I think and and I've more and more as I talk to more people, I feel like it's not just over the board. Like I think that's a critical part. But it's why I've kind of shifted to being like, I want to make sure I play at least like five blitz games a day so that I'm more consistently in the fights, experiencing all the different possibilities. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Is, does it feel like a good idea to just play, just play as much as you can? If you don't have time for rapid, then you just play blitz. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of blitz for improvement. I mean, you do have to do like, if you want to use it to improve and not just to blow off steam, there are certain things you have to do. The biggest one is review the games. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you do that, it is a great tool. Um, you get, you know, in some sense, chess improvement is a volume game in that there's so many different ways a chess game can go. There's so many things that can happen. To see enough of them, you know, if you're playing a few classical games a month you're just you just don't have that many games to see a lot of stuff yeah um so blitz the trade-off obviously is it gives you more volume but the games are generally not as deep so there's pluses and minuses to that but i think you know as part of of a training program where you're doing other stuff yeah i think it's really good for some things um i was just listening to the the perpetual chess podcast where they're um you're reviewing this I, I don't know if I can remember the name of the book, but basically a, not a chess book, but like a general learning make science it stick. book. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And there, I, there's this one study of, uh, you know, a, apparently people get, I think it was, you, you get better at shooting, Um, maybe, maybe it was like cornhole or something like that. Some mm -hmm. sort of game where you toss a, a ball somewhere and it's, you get better if you actually practice from varying distances, not just, the same distance over and over so i think it's sort of like that which it's like blitz rapid um classical they all kind of target different things uh so i don't know what the optimal mix would be but but i kind of have a sense that doing some of all of the above mm -hmm. is not a bad idea yeah I, I really transitioned that like for probably like the first almost a year probably that i came back i was like blitz is kind of bad for me but, you know, I feel like it's helping with opening. So, I, like, I play as much rapid as I can. I play as much OTB as I can. And then I just try not to play Blitz. Like, if it's between Blitz and something else, I might as well just study something. Um, and I've really kind of shifted away from that and been like, I think Blitz is a, not not just a useful thing, but like a, a key component in, in a broader study plan. Yeah, I mean, a, a big thing for me is, I just want to be able to understand as many positions and patterns as I can. Yeah. And I think I, so, you know, the biggest thing people usually say you get from blitz is like openings. You can update your opening files. It is great for that. But I also feel like I get a lot of positions where I just like, I don't, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand what the position is about. I don't understand what my plan is supposed to be. Um, And then if you do review those, you know, if you really know how to use the engine, to kind of pull pull out that knowledge 
you can really build up your knowledge of typical plans. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think is, is hugely important and decides a lot of games. Just like, you know, in this pawn structure, this opening or this scenario, what's the position really about? What am I trying to do? That type of knowledge is so powerful. And there, there's so many different positions and structures that, that uh, it takes a while to like build, build up your coverage of those. Yeah, I agree. I, I had a game today where uh, I went over it afterward, as I always do with them. And my I knew the key moment. My opponent played a move that you know trapped a, a rook out of the opening, and I had to end up giving up a bishop to save it. And I was like, okay, well, I learned that move's bad. A, but B, I made that move because I knew all the book moves up to this point, and I didn't quite know the plan here, and so I just made this move. And so it was a great moment for me to realize like, A, I don't know the plan. B, let's take 10 minutes and figure out what is the plan. So now from this blitz game, right, I was able to like learn a trap to avoid and then learn a plan. And so I feel like if I can do that with a lot of blitz games, then I'm getting quite a bit of value out of them. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great feeling when you get an over the board game where you've had the position in a blitz game or multiple blitz games, because then you you know the plan, you have the experience in my in my experience that tends to be um a uh you know a, a much more sort of robust and valuable form of knowledge than if you had just like memorized a line like i had a game in um uh this this nebraska class championship where i had black and my opponent went for um the this setup with knight f3 e e3 c4 so he did this thing where, where they they don't play d4 i i, I went from a semi-slav setup hmm. um so he's he's playing the setup with e3 and b3 but no d4 and i didn't really know that much about it but i did have several blitz names uh from from that that i remembered so i knew a little bit and and it was enough to to sort of feel my way through in that case hmm. Okay. So you didn't memorize Sam Shanklin's whole course on the semi-slav. You instead use your bliss knowledge. I actually, well, I am, I do have that course. Mm, who I doesn't? Was using, that, that, that's a funny example. I don't know if I told you about this game at Alto. Um, I had black against David Vigorito, who's, um, you know, he's a, he's a friend of mine. He's an international master from the Boston area where I did live before I moved to Nebraska a few years ago. Um, and he's also he's a big um openings expert. Like he's written a lot of openings books, including including one on the semi-slav. Oh. <clears throat> um but I had black against him and like so I was like my my game plan going into the tournament with regard to openings was I had prepared certain openings and I was just gonna play my stuff. I wasn't gonna try to target my opponents or you know, stress myself up looking up stress myself out looking up their games. I was just going to play what I had prepared. But then I had black against David. So I'm like, mm, okay, I prepared the semi-slav. This guy literally wrote a book on the semi-slav. Yeah, seems dangerous. Um, But, you know, I hadn't prepared anything else. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just go for it. He went He went for, for a theoretical line, um, which... I, I knew the line, like I had memorized the main line from the Shanklin course. So, so I haven't done the, the whole Shanklin course. It's pretty long, but I had done the quick yeah. starter. And I did actually, 
you know, I do actually do the spaced repetition, which a lot of people don't Ooh, do, but it works. Yeah. So I did, in fact, no, you know, if you do it, you will remember the stuff. So I remember the stuff. But as we were playing out the moves on the board, I was just getting um, incredibly worried that he would essentially deviate from that line at all because I know you know it's 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 all those questions that pop into your mind at the board like what if he does this what if he does this yeah. all these moves that I don't know which are looking super scary um he he followed the line for a while uh I I kind of made a mistake I then I got back into it I mean a, a few other weird things happened in the game but it definitely I didn't really came away thinking like I need to change how I'm preparing these openings so one mm -hmm. thing I started doing with um as a result of that is reviewing these openings in a question answer format. So at, I, I went in through the line and at each move, I actually did this as like a, on, on chessable. Again, most people don't even use this feature, but you can, um you can make comments on the positions in your lines. Hmm. Can other people see them or only you? Everyone can see them. Yeah. Okay. And so, I, I just put in as comments the questions that I that I had during this game. And then I actually answered you you can you can put in the questions and the authors are actually supposed to respond to them, or some of them do. <laughs> um in this case I just answered my own. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I find that question answer format really helpful. Interesting. That does sound really helpful. I, I wonder if everyone started using that tool, if it would be annoying. Like you start getting other people's questions and you're like, whoa, I don't I don't want your question. I want I want my but own. The, you know, since I'm also a chessable author, I do know um I I get email alerts when people um post mm. question post comments on my courses. So um mm. so I guess, you know, possibly I was I was spamming Sam Shankland's email. Um <laughs> you know, he he did not he did not respond to any of those. I possibly because he saw I had already responded myself. Uh. So what I'm hearing is I should do this with with Nate Solon's uh one night F three course and see what happens. Well, you can. I do. You know, people do post comments. I I try to answer them. I every now and then one slips through their cracks, but I do I do actually try to be responsive to those. Nice. Okay. I'll have to try that. I mean, it does sound like a great way to do it. I was thinking I'd have to make note cards or something uh, to be able to do something like that. That that sounds fantastic. I wonder if there's an option to only show your own questions. Yeah, I'm not sure. Usually, in general, it seems like not a ton of people use this feature. So I haven't, mm -hmm. I generally don't see like a huge volume of, of comments on any given position. Yeah, interesting. Okay. um, That sounds fascinating. So you said, uh, I couldn't quite understand what you said. Did you say you won both of the events, but not an impressive style or that you did not win them? I did win both. It was, okay. it was, uh, uh there it was the mass so it's a class tournament we have a master expert set section in nebraska it was actually the same four guys so it's like a round robin uh, me and the same three other guys both times okay um, and i did manage to win both times yes and were you the highest rate in your section i was yeah okay and is there a section above you that's like the ims and gms no we don't we don't have that one in nebraska oh uh, okay Okay, so you're the Nebraska state champion twice. Is that what I'm the hearing? State class champion. The state class champion. Okay, yes. okay, okay. These are separate things. Okay. There's, yeah, I think we've got a few. Um, there's a few different state championships. There's, there's a closed championship which I'm not even invited to. I didn't. 
Oh, I don't exactly, I don't know quite what the, the qualification was. I, I think you had to participate in some other tournaments, which Apparently I didn't. Apparently it's not top rated player in the state. <laughs> no, that I, they did not have one for that, I guess. Okay. It seems like a loophole they should open there for you. Okay. Um, well, Frugia and these guys gaming the, the ratings. <laughs> yeah, what, if I, what if I created a little like uh, 18 round round robin in omaha yeah. just to, to farm like i was thinking points. what if jj lang did that to pass you he could yeah yeah we got lots of possibilities here okay well no yeah J, jj was one of my opponents in both of these tournaments so actually we played um uh in the most recent one in particular we played a really interesting game okay uh, pretty pretty back and forth that sounds like a lot of fun here in um los angeles we're gonna have our i don't know southern california class championships coming up pretty soon i will not be the top rated player in that tournament i know that surprises you nate yeah yeah there's probably some pretty strong players out there yes we have very strong players that show up to these things yeah yeah we we, we got a lot of uh top players um yeah, so I'll be in the 1700 to 1900 section uh, trying to break even. That, that'll that probably be my goal. Uh, I think we should shift to my program. What, what do you think, Nate? Yeah, let's, let's talk Get about some, it. Get uh, some feedback from you. Let's go the selfish route. Have guests on who can help me. This is this is where all of you can just turn it off now. It's just about me now. Is this great. even a real podcast? Are you even recording this right now? Okay, this is the deal. The whole reason I do this is so people can help me get better at chess, Nate. What if I what if I started a podcast that was like the chess improvement podcast, but like yeah, I didn't even put I'm just like I but I got a bunch of grandmasters to just yeah. like look at my games. That's a great you just it's a it's a it's a YouTube format and it's just just yeah. you getting people to go over your games with you. It sounds amazing. Everyone would love it actually. You should do that. Okay. Uh so so here's the the crux of my program. I, I'll say over the last couple of years, I've read like 30 books many of them well outside of my abilities. Like a, a good example is uh, Under the Surface. Fantastic book. I remember many of his catchphrases, uh, but I don't remember anything that happens in the book. Like the whole book is just a blank page to me. If you told me, name one thing you learned in that book, I'd be like, Karpov's billiard balls. And you'd be like, what does that even mean? And I go, I don't know. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. What, what does it mean? There's a chapter about the bishops and how they bounce around the ball the board like billiard boards billiard billiard balls and i don't remember the examples or what the point was i just remember bishops are kind of cool and they do that all right so in the past i've done a lot of that and it made me feel good nate i was like i can list the following books that i've read therefore clearly i must be getting better at chess um, but in reflecting, I'm wondering how much I'm learning. So this, this year I'm trying to keep it simpler. So that's kind of the goal is to like hone in on turning knowledge into skill and, and keep it simple. That's kind of like the game plan for the year. So one leg of that is going to be to continue playing my weekly OTB games, um, annotating them and trying to get at least one big tournament a quarter, you know, a, a weekend tournament. So that's like uh, tent, tent pole one, play over the board, get that experience. Um, each week, I'm trying to do 
either a rapid game or a calculation puzzle every day, um, sort of tackling these two bigger elements of my training and making those like the big piece. Um, and then I'm supplementing it with puzzles every day, blitz every day, and some visualization exercises. Uh, and then the last thing is looking at sample games in my openings as kind of like the bonus time. And I was thinking about reading over books I've already read and making some flashcards about some important positions. So like I've read all of these like foundational chess books and I don't remember much of any of them. So I'm wondering if the answer is rather than finding the next great chess book, it's just to read like Sheroshevsky's Endgame Strategy again. And this time try to pick out like 20 positions that really seem to demonstrate the principles of the book that I can flip through and kind of refresh myself on. So I guess my question is, what do you think of the idea of going simpler rather than more complicated? And what do you think of the things I've chosen in this effort to keep it simple? Yeah, I love the idea of going simpler. That's a big thing I've noticed with coaching. Whenever I meet with someone for the first time, very often they're reading like seven books and doing like 12 courses. Yeah. I'm like, I'm always like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> how can you even remember all the things you're working on? Like, let alone yeah. continue to work on them. Uh, so definitely a big fan of going simpler. Uh, also a fan of fewer, but yeah, maybe here, here, here's my first hot take. Like, Books are overrated. Chess book, you know, generally, I think. So, 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 I think people tend to think like books are very good and diligent, and like YouTube is um dumb and a waste of time or something. For me, books and YouTube are kind of in the same category. Mm -hmm. They both give you more information. Um. But most of the time, you don't need more information. You need more practice. Yeah. So, and I think the reason, like, people trash YouTube is it's not that it's worse. It's just that, like, culturally, it's easier because books are, like, Jane Austen, you know, and Ernest Hemingway. And yeah. YouTube is, like, PewDiePie or whatever. I don't even know who's on you. Every time they do one of these pog champs, there's, like, there's yeah. some new person I've never heard of. And I Google them. And I'm, like... Oh, he's more famous than Brad Pitt. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> I've never but, heard of any of them ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's there's a lot of great there's there's a lot of really great chess stuff on YouTube. You know, there's you got like John Bartholomew and like Andrus Toth and I mean a million other great great creators. You can actually get great information on YouTube. Um mm -hmm. but yeah, I think that the main thing is is Usually you don't need more information you need to practice. Um, there is a balance. You do want, you don't want to just figure out chess from your, from on your own from scratch with absolutely no help. That wouldn't be very efficient either, but it's probably should be more of like an 80, 20 practice to information. And I think a lot of, you know, especially sort of like adult improver types tend to really load up on the information and maybe not get enough practice. Yeah. Uh, because, actually use that in a game you don't just have to know it you have to like really really know it well so that you can apply it mm -hmm. 
under time pressure, there's not just one idea happening. There's a bunch of different ideas on the board. You have to be aware of all of them, know which one's important. Yeah. You got to be doing tactics at the same time. You know, you got to, you have to have a lot of facility with something before it becomes really useful in your own game to actually win a game. I think for me, the biggest example of that is the minority attack. So like I read about it in Ludic Pachman's book. Then I read about it again in Michael Steen's book. And then I started playing some Carol Khan lines where the minority attack was a part. And so I like knew what the minority attack was very well. And then I realized I couldn't enact it at all. <laughs> I was just like, I read it about it enough times that I know this term really well. And I know it means like pushing the B pawn. Yeah. And then you know, like it took a lot of practice of like failing with it over and over to realize, okay, this is actually the point and this is how you enact it. And what if they do this, then you do this and like fully understanding that. But it never, I never even had to know it as the minority attack. I just had to know like when I'm in this type of position, this is the kind of um, plan I should undertake. Yeah. In this, in this tournament, uh, my most recent tournament, I also had a Carlsbad game. I was, uh, I was not the side that can do the minor minority attack. I was mm -hmm. the other side. But I was thinking during this game, like, I've, you know, I've read so much about the Carlsbad. I've watched so many videos. Even uh -huh. one of the solitaire chess games in um, the chess gym was like a, a great game in a Carlsbad structure. And then I was seeing at the board and I was like, I have no idea what to do. Like, <laughs> you know, because I know these ideas. Yeah. But in the in my game, as is usually the case in the game, it all came down to specifics. So I knew some ideas, but I was really struggling to make things work on a move by move basis. Uh so so yeah, I think that 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 is sort of, you know, in 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 the Carlsbad structure in chess in general, you know, you see a lot of model games where a player uses a single concept to mm -hmm. win a game in like a very beautiful way. Yeah. But in most real games, it's back and forth. It's it's not about one idea. Many ideas are sort of in play, jockeying for position. Like what actually matters mm -hmm. often comes down to very specific nuances of move orders. Um so it's it's like sort of it tends to be a lot weirder and grittier and messier. You you rarely just beat your opponent just because you know something they didn't and you just yeah, leverage that and and you know the game just it sort of goes in a straight line beautifully one of my favorite moments with my coach recently i was in a carlsbad and i was like yeah i think i'm winning here i'm gonna do a minority attack and he goes oh really what's the first move you're gonna do in your minority attack and i was like well i'll put the rook on the b file and he's like oh you mean the square that that bishop's covering and you're just hanging your rook and i was like oh uh <laughs> i guess i guess i can't do the minority attack here and he was like no i guess not so it was uh, it was just one of those really interesting moments, right? Where the pawn structure says it's a minority attack time, but the specifics of that position said, no, no, you're not, not going to be able to do that. Or if you are, you need to make a whole bunch of moves to sort of be able to set that mm -hmm. in motion. Well, yeah, as, as a sometimes London player, I, I've definitely taken a lot of rooks on B8. They, you know, sooner or later they forget, especially if you drop that bishop back to H2. Oh, yeah, that's They just always forget. <laughs> yeah. Wait, there was a bishop there, huh? Oh you, man! You know, and if, if if you play a lot of blitz games, like you you even know when they're about to do it, you can just like sense it's like, yeah, here comes the rook to b eight. 
<laughs> yep, because they've telegraphed it with their other moves, right? You're like, yep, this is what they're playing for. And they hang their piece. Cool. Okay. So you're saying you feel like less books is probably good. More playing is probably good. Any other thoughts on the specifics of uh, the plan I've worked up here? I think playing is good. I think you could benefit for for working on some calculation because because what i'm so so i'm getting to know you a little bit better as a player because you have been participating in the chess gym so um mm -hmm. from both your games and um your solutions to the exercises i think where you get in trouble the most often is calculation and especially you know, not not the type of sort of puzzly things where it's like bam, 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 seven move combination, like haha. You know, you know the 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 very beautiful ones that you tend to see, but more the sort of gritty, grimy ones where it's like mm -hmm. mm, your opponent has three or four different options. You kind of have to go through them. So I think where where you're getting to trouble the most, you know, is like missing resources for your opponent. Often, um you know, early in the variation, maybe move one or move two, but, yeah. you know, and not, and not even necessarily like shocking moves that you would never think of, but it was just like, you know, maybe they had four responses that are reasonable to what you did and you considered three of them and it turned out the fourth one would refuted your idea, you know, or something like that. And that's, that's what I'm finding it, a, a lot of people really struggle with. And it's not, you know, yeah, it's not it's not the beautiful tactic that that you put on the front page of the book. It's just those little fiddly details of calculation and analysis. But those are actually those can decide a real game very, very easily. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you nailed exactly what my biggest problem is. Like I can come up with really great combinations, but like you said, oftentimes it really is just move one. Where they're like, What about this devastating response? And I'm like, oh. Oh, wow. I saw all the branches from move two on, uh, but I sure didn't see that one. Or at least I tell myself that. And probably on move two, they had another great response that I had missed. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the one of the best pieces of advice I would say for calculation is just to to slow down and and push yourself a little bit to consider all the options early, especially on move one. You know, it's that that's where where people seem to go wrong the most often it's not it's not actually they didn't spot the brilliant move on move nine it's like yeah the more realistic thing is you didn't spot the simple move on move one and when that yeah. happens you, you usually lose the game yeah and that is the hardest part it's rarely a brilliant refutation it's just kind of like well you got into this passive thinking of like they have to go here because of some reason you've concocted in your mind and they absolutely don't have to go there. They can go anywhere they want. It is a, a weird thing about calculation is um, unless the whole line is 100% absolutely correct, then the whole line has no validity, <laughs> right? Because if, yeah. if there's any move at any point that refutes it, the, the whole thing goes up in flames. Yep. So yeah, cal calculation, it's a powerful tool, but you also have to, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, when you, mm -hmm. if you're counting on a very specific line, there's no partial credit for 90%. You know, if you, if you miss one move, it can all come tumbling down.
Yeah, it's kind of the problem with doing like chess.com tactics, right? They don't tell you put the whole move in. So I don't move until I find the whole move. But if I'm wrong, I can still sometimes be right, right? Like it's like I make the first move, I second make the second move, and then I go, oh, right. I was planning to go here, but now I can see that doesn't work. So I'm going to make the correct move now, get the points that I've got to have for my dopamine hit. But inside, I know like you actually missed that tactics puzzle. So maybe I should just intentionally miss those when I know I have miscalculated as a way to keep myself honest. But I don't know if I can do that, Nate. I don't know if I have that kind of willpower. Yeah, that's a down. I mean, on like the best kind of tactics are the ones you'll actually do. And online is uh, convenient for sure. So I don't, uh, you know, I don't scold people too much for doing the online tactics, but they do, they can tempt you into some bad habits of just kind of playing the first move you see and then taking it from there. So that is mm -hmm. in a perfect world. I think it's better to, you know, use a book, like write down your solution because when you do, yeah, like puzzle, you, you can sort of find your way to it in, in puzzle rush or, or in the chess.com tactics where it's like, well, if it's a tactic, it has to be a forcing line. So I kind of know what the first move has to be, even if I don't work it out. Yeah. And then you sort of take it from there, but obviously in a real game, that is a, a very dangerous path to go down because there's no there's no guarantee you do have a tactic it could yeah. you could just be going down a forcing line that leads to your own demise that was a forced loss yeah yeah forced losses that you initiated are pretty terrible actually that's always, <sighs> that, that that's a big thing I, I i do that in my own games you know when when you play a forcing move and you force your opponent to do something that is great for them and bad for you. That's always, that's like the surest sign that you weren't really thinking about your opponent's resources, but yeah, I, I see students do that. I still do that from time to time, but uh, that that's one to watch out for when you're reviewing your games. I agree. So, so you're saying it sounds like you think I should keep continue leaning into doing calculation work and just trying to be really diligent about going wide on that first move. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do do some calculation. Um, some with, with some like messier positions i you know i try to include a lot of those in those in the positions of the day in the chess gym that we're doing mm -hmm. and uh you know just write down your answer grade yourself really honestly and like work on that precision okay yeah i agree with that um what about visualization exercises are you a fan of those at all or do you or not so when you say visualization exercise mm. is do, do you mean um like blindfold type stuff. Yeah. So I've been doing um, this book, Cognitive Chess, where I'll just kind of be like, here's the first seven moves of the game. What's move eight? Or here's a position. What's the best move? Stuff like that. It's not something I have a ton of experience with. Um, actually, I'd be, I'd be interested to hear your experience because I feel like I definitely don't think it's absolutely necessary because I think if you do difficult calculation, you kind of automatically get visualization thrown into the bargain. Yeah. Um, so I don't necessarily feel like it's, it's essential to work on visualization in a different way exclusively, but I mean, maybe it could help. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I'm not really sure. I, I definitely feel like, I'm getting light years better at that independent skill of being read a game and being able to track it. 
But then the question becomes, is that a useful skill in a knife fight? And and I don't know the answer to that yet, right? The, the theory is something like, if I can do that skill better without a board when it's harder, then it'll be somehow easier for me when I'm at the board. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard to say. Like the the theory does sort of make sense, but um, on the keeping it simple side, part of me also wants to say, well, like hmm. calculation is more directly relevant to a chess game, and you're getting visualization from that anyway. So you do you need to incorporate a whole other element of your training just to get visualization? Um, yeah, that's a good I question. Know. I think one of the I'm nice actually... things is that I can do some of it in the car while I'm driving where I can do like these blindfold chess puzzles and I can't really set up a position and calculate in the car. Cause I have advantageous. So I have to have like the position in front of me mm. unless, you know, it's a very manageable position. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe focus on driving. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, Nate, this drive is soul crushing. I need something to entertain right. me. Um, You know, it's weird though. I've been doing, um, <laughs> I do for, for myself. I try to do one exercise on on a physical board every morning, just as part of my morning routine. And um, I've been doing this Dvoretsky, recognizing the opponent's resources. So I I had this idea. I, was, I thought I'm gonna add a little extra element to it for some extra training. Of I'm gonna look at the diagram in the the book. Mm. And I'm going to close the book and I'm going to set up the position for memory. Ooh, how's that going? Not good. Um, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a famous study in psychology where um, they asked people to, do, you know, they did it with expert chess players and with non-chess players. And the famous result was that with real positions from chess games, the experts were much better. Mm -hmm. But with... Uh, random assortments of you know so not not a chess piece of position just the pieces put on completely random squares there was no difference so that kind of led to this idea of like chunking and memory which is which is very mm -hmm. influential in psychology uh but for me <laughs> i just started doing this but i look at the position i think i have it i close the book i can place like one piece <laughs> and it's just, uh Oh man. The whole thing goes out, you know, it's like it's like if you empty an hourglass or something. I have yeah. no I don't know if I'm stressed out or what, but I, I've been finding that a lot more challenging than I was kind of expecting. Wow. So you're basically disputing the psychological study. Yeah, I thought because I I know that the, the result from the psychological study was like expert chess players. Yeah. We're supposed to be able to do that. I'm Ooh. like I'm I'm a master. I am struggling. Maybe what you're realizing is with the new rating system, you're really like 800. So it's it's inflation. It's not deflation. <laughs> I guess, I guess for you it is. I, you're the only one. You're the only one experiencing massive inflation. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting stuff. Okay. Um. So it sounds like you think, generally speaking, my program. Sounds reasonable. Playing a focus on playing and calculation and some blitz to stay sharp. That that seems like a good program. Yeah, I think overall it sounds really good. Okay. Any thoughts on rereading books and making some flashcards, or does that seem sort of pointless to you? 
No, I think it makes sense because like, like I was saying with this sort of 80, 20 practice, um, knowledge split that does sort of imply that like to get a, the value out of the book you need some sort of system to practice it mm. and come back to it and you know a lot of books do have practice positions but i think realistically for a lot of stuff it's like there there may not be enough practice contained in that book to really yeah get the idea to the level where you need it so i think having some sort of that system where you re return to it, make flashcards or, you know, take notes, elaborate on it. From a learning perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. That sounds good. Um, I guess the next question I want to ask you is, and I think I know the answer. Uh, I've been feeling kind of bad about not reading a book. Like today we had a snow day. I live in Los Angeles, so it rained really hard. And so we didn't have school, which was so great. Um, but so I had the day and I did a lot of work and then I was like, the old me would have been reading a chess book today. Like I would have been like, ah, I can read a book. And instead I played like a rapid game, did a calculation puzzle, did a couple blitz games, um, examined, uh, a plan that I was unaware of like useful things, but, but no book, no book, Nate. And it made me like, am I not a real chess player now? Like I'm not bringing in a new book's worth of knowledge today. What, what's wrong with me? Yeah, I think that there's sort there's some sort of like kind of moralizing eat your eat your veggies sort of vibe in certain parts of the chess world where it's like, you know, some things are the good things to do, some things are the bad things to do, but the things that are the considered the sort of good moral things often I think doesn't have that much to do with that what makes you actually better at chess. Mm. It's just sort of that thing of like, yeah, like books are like very, you know no one can criticize you for reading a book. Like that's like a very virtuous thing to do. Mm -hmm. Does it actually make you better at chess? Mm, I don't know. I don't know if it, Yeah. you know, if it makes you that much better. Like there's a, a lot of these, these young players today, I don't know if they've read any books. Yeah. So, I mean, not that like, obviously there are a lot of like, I wrote a book. I think it's a good book. Um, There, there are some good, there are a lot of really good chess books out there, but you know, if you ask me to rank like reading books versus playing chess versus solving positions versus analyzing, you know, I, I would put books at the bottom of that list. It's like the, mm -hmm. the most valuable um, stuff is, is where your hands on doing it. And like, I, I, I like the, the sort of comparison of like, you know, say, say you're trying to become a great basketball player. So I'm like, okay, well, like, what are you doing? And you're like, well, I'm reading a book about basketball. I'm sort of, and I would be like, well, all right. I mean, I, it's like a little weird, but I mean, sure. I, you know, I can imagine you could learn something um, mm -hmm. useful about basketball from a book. Sure. And then, and then you go, well, you know what? I'm actually reading like 20 books about basketball. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? Like, okay. Yeah. Well, like I, you know, I, I have to assume you're also playing a lot of basketball <laughs> and then, it, and then you're like, nope. No, I'm just going to read the 20 books first before I go out there and play basketball. You know, it's like, yeah. obviously, I don't embarrass myself. Yeah. Obviously, at that point, it's like, well, your strategy is kind of crazy. I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> you know, in, in, in basketball, that would be very obvious. Yeah. In chess, people seem to think that type of strategy is going to work. But I think it's chess is more like a sport, at, at least competitive chess. You know, if your goal is to ultimately like win games and tournaments and rating points. Yeah. 
it's more like a sport and and kind of less like an academic pursuit you know it's it's something where you go in and you're competing against someone you have to perform at a high level under pressure so mm -hmm. to get good at that you really have to to practice and just put yourself in the situation to um you know try and fail a lot yeah i think it's been a hard transition for me i sort of transitioned out of academia and not long after picked up chess and it was kind of like oh great so all this skill set that i built up with academia it's actually gonna have a use in my life that is amazing um and then i don't know i feel like i've read enough books to be like at least 2000 if i, if I had like learned all that information and translated into skills so so i'm starting to question that that methodology chess is all chess is the rare thing where like you have to actually beat people you know I, a, a lot of things like when you're an academic like a lot of your performance is judged on do other academics like my stuff mm -hmm. right and or but you know and, and the same is true of most jobs i think like a lot of stuff comes down to like do people like me will they support me can i kind of get people can i convince people to be on my side yeah but then, like once you once you sit down at the chessboard it's there's very defined rules and you have to uh you know either you, you can kind of do it or not yeah it'd almost be like if in academia instead of reading your paper to a room like you act to actually sit down and battle somebody who's in your field yeah. and like you had to like throw knowledge back and forth and be like oh yeah what did so and so say about this and then like only the winner gets to deliver their paper like that. That would emulate chess a little bit more. Okay. Um, last thing about me, and then I want to ask you about the chess gym because I think it's a, a great thing you're doing. All right, Nate. When is the time to change openings? Um, I try very hard not to change openings for a few reasons. One, I know that it can be really easy to have a bad game and say it's the opening's fault, and it rarely is. Number two, it takes a long time or a lot of, of your time to learn an opening that you could be doing working on, say, calculation. Um, and then number three, it just takes a long time to get decent with an opening and to learn the nuances of it. So I'm very hesitant to ever change my openings. And I've finally reached a place with my current white opening where I'm just really questioning. Like, there just seem to be several lines in it that I've worked really hard and diligently at. And the advantage that I'm getting is so narrow and such a tight rope. And it just doesn't seem like it's a great idea. So, so I guess the question is, do I keep plowing along? Do I start experimenting with some other things? Do I just drop this opening and understand that it's going to be a rough next couple of months? I, I don't know. I'm really torn. I, my my gut says, don't ever change opening again. You're going to be 78 playing the same lines you were playing today. Yeah, it's a tricky question. Um there's a lot of trade-offs on both sides. I um, I would say, you know, even though I do some work with data, I think it's an area where it's, it's really hard to get good results from data because sometimes I see people saying like, oh, I only, you know, I score 51% with this, but I score 56% with this. And it's just, it's really hard to get a sample size for that that's relevant because you're always changing as a player you're playing different opponents and and if you're struggling with um with an opening it could be just like one i one line you need to fix or one line one plan you could learn that would like turn it all around yeah um 
and I do, I do tend to think, you know, I think you see a lot of people who sort of get in that carousel of always switching openings, but never actually getting good at one. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people switch too often for that reason. At the same time, there are, there's a lot of benefits to switching openings too. Like you get experience with different structures in different types of games, which can be good. Um, you get, which, which I think you're experiencing right now. Sometimes you just get like a burst of excitement and curiosity just when you switch something up yeah, and learn something new that can be great. And also I think it's just like probably the biggest reason I, you know, I, I find myself switching openings and learning different openings a lot. And like the biggest reason probably is just like for fun. It's just like fun to try different things. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I would say you want to give something a fair shake, especially if it's main, like, you know, the more of a mainline opening it is, typically I find the longer you have to work on it to get it to a point where it's really working for you, but then potentially the rewards are greater as well because you're, you know, yeah. you're getting richer positions with a lot of different ideas. You can use that opening forever. It's not going to be refuted. Mm -hmm. um, so all of it's to say, you know, it's, it, 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 it's a tricky thing. I do think in, in my experience to like learn an opening really well to the point where you could use it in a classical game against a very tough, well-prepared opponent. Yeah, that's pretty tough, but, but I find it actually to get, to get something to the point where you can play it in blitz, you can actually do pretty quickly. I mean, some, sometimes I even like, <clears throat> like I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll just do like a, a, oh, what do they call their free courses on chess? The, the short and sweet. I'll mm -hmm. do like a short and sweet, chessable course in half an hour and just start playing it yeah i'm like getting better positions in blitz that i get than i get with openings that i've been playing for years i'm like what the hell like yeah what the hell am i even doing here like are, is all this opening knowledge i built up just stupid so it's sort of uh, <laughs> uh -huh. you, you can get to like a sort of playable state pretty fast and one one other thing i I just looking at um like like Lee Chess has has this uh you know insights tab or something where you can see um your performance with different openings. I was just looking at that and uh all these different open you know these different openings I've played with vastly different um levels of knowledge and experience and confidence. My performance rating in all of them is pretty much within the same 50 point band. So I think often there's like there's a lot of variation in how you feel about an opening, mm -hmm. but the reality is the game is mostly not decided in the opening. It's mostly decided by how good of an overall chess player you are. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is I, I say, there's this line I keep struggling with. Well, it's mainly because I keep playing this one guy who's 1800 and another guy who's 1900 and they're better than me. So it's like, that's another part where I'm like, well, am I really just complaining that I keep struggling against people who are better chess players than me. Like, I'm pretty sure that would happen in any line I played. They're just better than me, which is fine. You know, I'm, I'm trying to catch them. Um, yeah, so I guess my biggest problem has been because I feel like this opening I picked was a way to dodge a bunch of openings. Like, it dodges the QGA and it dodges the Nimzo. That it kind of feels like it must be kind of shaky, right? Like, how could an opening be 
that amazing and get to dodge everything. And so that was like always that in the back of my mind, like you're not playing a real opening anyway. You should switch to a real opening. You're you're talking about the the selection you keep it simple, right? With like D D four and then you fianchetto before you play C four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean it's definitely a real opening. You're gonna transpose to to mainline Catalans quite it's just um yeah it's a little bit of a move order trade off where um you avoid uh you avoid some lines with D take C four or Bishop B four check, which mm -hmm. are pretty theoretical. But you also um give black uh some additional options with maybe like C five or B five early. So mm -hmm. kind of a subtle trade off, but definitely say it's a real open. I mean, like Ding was playing that way for um for a while. I mean, he's a maybe the biggest D four expert in the world. So there's always, you know, that's another thing too, is like when you, when you look at like books and stuff, you know, it's kind of the way things are packaged. It seems like, um, you know, all the openings have these names with capital letters and they're very distinct, mm -hmm. but when you really dig into it, if you do your own analysis, there's so many transpositions, there's so many move order tricks, there's so many subtle differences of everything. It's like, yeah. If you really get into it, a lot of a lot of openings kind of blend together, and there's a lot of viable options in there. Yeah, it feels like um, I get like a slightly worse version of the Slav, and I think that's like something that's been kind of bothering me. And and so just the last couple of days, I've been trying to like work on the Slav just as a principle, like understand the Slav better, so that hopefully I can come up with an understanding of what I'm supposed to do against the Slav, because maybe it's not the opening maybe it's my incomplete understanding of the slav so i don't know i'm trying all kinds of stuff in blitz i've been this this was my strategy for blitz i downloaded your one night f3 course mm -hmm. i didn't even open it and i just started playing one night f3 <laughs> and then i took the next step of opening it but like that to me my blitz rating is so irrelevant to me and i'm and it's so low that i'm like i could just play one night f3 like what's the worst actually... i play i play one night f3 and then i have a fine position no, I think it's a good way to do it. That's actually another thing I like about Blitz is I think it's actually good to have different contexts that you play in where some are more serious than others. Because I think it's really important to have some games where you do feel free to experiment. Yeah. Um, right. And what, you know, what I like to do with with chessboard courses, like typically I'll do the quick starter. Then I'll go in and, and play a bunch of Blitz games. So I get some experience and i come back with some questions mm -hmm. and then you know i'll possibly learn the rest of the course i also there's also a setting you can do in chessable where you can set it so that it quizzes you on the moves before it teaches them to you mm -hmm. i think that's actually a great option to just uh kind of force yourself to engage with it as a chess position yeah. before you kind of go into you know, to, to, to try to keep in that sort of like thinking chess player brain and not go into like memorization brain. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, Let's talk about the chess gym because, you know, I saw this thing about the chess gym and I got really excited about it because it sounded a lot like what I was trying to do already. I was like, it seems like it's approach is kind of keep it simple. A lot of overlap between what I'm doing so let's start with the big question of like, why did you start something like this? 
Yeah, so I started this is this is an online chess uh training community that I started with Martin Eustacen, who does the the Say Chess uh newsletter. Um yeah, we just had like some ideas about how to get better at chess. Um a lot of our readers from our newsletters were like people who are working on chess, but one of the biggest things we heard is that it's very overwhelming like how much material is out there right now. Yeah. Um, so it's just very hard to narrow down and know what to focus on. So the, the core idea is really that there's not actually that many things you need to do to get better at chess. Um, it's really focusing on those key activities of playing serious games, solving difficult exercises, reviewing your games, and just doing, having the consistency to do that day after day after day. Uh, so the idea is really to sort of cut out a lot of the nonsense and a lot of the stuff you don't need and just like build the habits to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. I like the habit tracker where, you know, you, you click the box each day that you do the calculation exercise and, and once a week when you do your game and then you get to see the number go up, Nate, and you can see your consistency right before your very eyes and you can see who's more consistent than you, your rivals, if you will. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big believer in that. I don't I don't think um you know, you don't need to do like a heroic 8-hour day of study to get better at chess, but it does really help if you do at least a little bit uh you know, day after day after day uh and sort of start getting those cumulative gains. Yeah, I agree. Um for viewers out there how is this different from a lot of the other programs out there? There's like the chess dojo, there's chill killer chess training. Like how, how is the chess gym unique and different from them? Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, just to say it's not like we definitely didn't conceive this as like against any other program, which I think, you know, some people sort of think, but it's like, well, you know, if, if I'm starting a gym, I'm not like against the gym on the other side of town. I just, you know, I just wanted to start a gym. Um, right. but you know, I think each one does have its own philosophy, like, you know, killer chest training, I think is really all about like, at least, at least my understanding of it is, is like, they're doing a lot of really difficult calculation, which I think can work for, you know, the players with the ambition to keep up with it. Um, dojo, I think has more of a philosophy of like, you know, playing these very slow classical games and analyzing them really, really deeply. I would say for us, like, we've got more of a a less is more philosophy of like, let's really pare it down to the essentials. Um, like, let's really take seriously people's time availability and, you know, and what most people can realistically keep up with while still improving. Um and let's like really focus on the habits, you know, not only telling you what you should do, but but sort of providing the framework and the support and the scaffolding to like really help you keep up with that day after day. Mm -hmm. I think in many ways, the chess gym and the chess dojo complement each other. Like the dojo is trying to do a really comprehensive thing and give you books and tools about all the elements of the game. And to try to round all that out. And so I think if you really wanted to, you could be a part of that program doing all that. 
and then use the chess gym as like your calculation exercise piece of your program. Um, or if you're buying into the more simplistic approach, um, as in like simplifying what you're doing, the chess gym, you know, fits that very well. So I, I think the chess dojo and chess gym are doing something very different and can be complementary if that's uh, the, you know, the choice that you're making. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we are, um, you know, kind of taking our own advice. We sort of started it as simple as possible, but we are planning to add in more pieces. Like for me, it was a deliberate choice that um, books were not sort of part of that core training. Cause I mean, for all the reasons we discussed with mm -hmm. books, they can be valuable, but I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I do feel like playing, reviewing and, and solving exercises are sort of the core activities. And I do put books a little bit outside of that, but that being said, you know, I'm, we're thinking about, you know, maybe starting a book club, mm -hmm. some ways to, to study, you know, help people study books and other resources in an effective way. So definitely have some plans to, to build it out and, um, oh add some more elements while still keeping that sort of focus on simplicity. Yeah. I was wondering if you're going to come up with like a recommended books list or anything like that. It sounds like it's in the works. Yeah, one thing I've been thinking is, um, could you, you know, may, maybe a, a recommended curriculum is something that we could do that's relatively lightweight, but helpful. I do. I do really want to avoid like putting out there like a really long list because then I think people get the sense that they have to do everything on the list but mm -hmm. again books can be helpful I think you can get you know you can get to like a master level in chess with only a few books or you know potentially no books if you do other sorts of training so want to give people guidance on stuff that can be helpful but at, at the same time not create an impression that like you have to read 75 books to get to this level because in general, yeah. you really don't. So it seems like one of the core pieces of the program is that each day you guys have three different calculation exercises for different levels. I'm curious, how do you choose them? Like it's it feels overwhelming every day to have to have a, a new exercise that you found. So any, any uh, secrets to choosing those? Yeah, I mean, I've um, I've got some stuff for, from coaching, but I, you know, I do have to keep sourcing new ones so i i get them from different sources um some of them come from from member games which which is always nice um mm -hmm. you know occasionally from my games but i also just you know i'm generally looking at a fair amount of chess um i actually find in, in general i feel like the the best um puzzles for a level tend to come from games like of that level um so i actually think this is like one area where a lot of chess books kind of go wrong is like so many of the examples in um chess books that are targeted to players of all levels like come from grandmaster games mm -hmm. but i think often the most uh helpful examples for like an intermediate player comes from games by intermediate players yeah so i can actually you know Sometimes I'm just looking, you know, looking at games from like random tournaments that are going on, even even games like that are, you know, just random games from Lee Chess and pulling out positions that I think are instructive. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. The way I've been doing it is I start with the easiest position and I treat that almost like a little bit harder of a regular puzzle. 
And then I move to the medium and I treat that like a calculation exercise. And then I hope I have the energy to tackle the hard one. And then that's like, I often set that up on a board and I'm like, all right, I might not solve this one. I'm just going to do the best I can. And, 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 uh, you know, yeah, our, our, our initial idea was that each person would do one per day, but then it's, it seems like mm -hmm. a lot of people do actually enjoy trying all of them. Yeah. I think it's been fun. I, I feel like, I don't know if it's an underrated part or if you intended this, but almost it's like every puzzle is kind of like the book Think Like a Super GM or The Amateur's Mind, where you get people being very honest about this was my process. This is what I saw. This is why I didn't get it. You know, I, I found that to be helpful to see, like, what are other people getting tripped up on? Is it the same as me? Um, is it something different? I, I don't know. I, I found that very interesting. In fact, Nate, I didn't even realize you could hit a button that showed the solution. I was trying to extract the solution from other people's guesses. Okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's an in, that that was that's another big part of our philosophy is we really wanted it to be, um, you know, truly a community where everyone is interacting with everyone else and learning from them. So it's not just, um, you know, show up and learn from Nate. It's like you're going to be part of a real community where there's a lot of relationships you know and, and and people are having a lot of a very active back and forth yeah yeah it's been it's been really fun um i guess the last thing is i haven't taken advantage of this but there's a sparring option as well right you can set up you know games to play with other people in the program yeah absolutely i think um so we really wanted to do that i think that's that's one of the huge advantages of being part of an online community like this is over the board chess is fantastic but obviously for a lot of people, it's hard to get in those over the board games all the time. Um, and if you're looking for for slower game, you know, it can be kind of tricky to find a slower game online if you're just sending out a random seek. So to, mm. you know, just yeah. give me a 30, 20 game or whatever. So so we facilitate matching people up for those games uh, to, to make sure you, you're able to get those games and schedule them. And then um, another really great part of that is is being able to do the post-mortem where you can get on a Zoom call yeah. and discuss it with someone, you know, with your opponent. And for a lot of people, I think they feel like that's their favorite part and they they learn the most from actually the post-mortem. Yeah, I totally agree. Post-mortems are so amazing. Um, and then uh, another, another box is uh, annotate your game each week. So it's, it's, it's fun because I play a game every Wednesday and then it's like Wednesday night, I always put in my initial thoughts and then Thursday or Friday or whenever I would get around to it, I would put in my full annotations. And now I kind of look forward to it. Like, all right, all right, I got I'm gonna put my thoughts in Wednesday night, and then Thursday I got to block off like an hour and a half because I don't want to submit some nonsense over there. I got to have you know a fully annotated game. So it's it's been good to help. Just it's just again that accountability, that motivation to do the thing that you already wanted to do, but maybe something gets in the way every week, and this this uh, allows less things to get in the way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really the value of, of like building a habit that then you're, you start to enjoy it, you know, you're getting into it, you're not going to miss it. Yeah. And then, and then it's like, <laughs> there's like the uh, uh, social media part of it where you're like, oh, is anyone going to respond to my annotations? Like, were they good enough? Were they interesting <laughs> enough? You know? <laughs> yeah, that is. And I definitely want to, you know, keep it, keep it growing so we get that critical mass so that there's, you know, right, right now I'm, I'm definitely in there replying to a lot of stuff, but I also want mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, 
build up more and more of like an organic back and forth where, where you get a lot of different opinions and ideas kind of cross pollinating. Yeah, for sure. All right. As we wrap up, I want to ask you this question. How, how successful has the chess gym been so far? Is it like been everything you hoped it would be? You feel like there's a lot of room for growth. Um, have you quit your job and bought like a giant home as a result of it? How are things going? I think it's going good so far. We, we crossed a hundred members. So that's a nice milestone. Okay. Um, definitely want to keep it dry. I mean, my job is chess coaching, so it's sort of, <laughs> mm. can't, I can't exactly quit that. It's like, it's kind of part of the same job. You know, I still do one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, it's, it's early on, but I feel like it's growing. It seems like people are enjoying it and getting a, a lot of value out of it. So, so it's a good start. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I guess my takeaway with the chess gym is I highly recommend it. Um, I'm not, I'm not a part of the chess gym. I'm not a coach or anything, but I've really been, uh, I've been, I've been enjoying it just as a consumer of the chess gym. I think, I think it's really great having uh, calculation puzzles every day that you get to interact with people. Like I was just kind of choosing my own puzzles and it's kind of great to, again, like we talked about before of, of having that pressure of like the planning part is gone. I can just pop in there and be like, cool. I do calculation puzzles three times a day. Uh, it's one of my calculation days. I'm going to do the chess gym puzzles and uh, you know, I've got them right there in front of me and then I can see what other people think about them. So it's been really fun. Yeah. Great. I'm, I'm glad you're liking it. Um, I do have a question from Ian Samples, so this will be the last thing. Uh, who are your favorite historical or contemporary chess players, and are there any particular games that have a significant impact on your understanding or love of the game? So who's your favorite? Mm, that's a tough one. I mean, it's such a boring answer, but I do love Carlson. Like, you know, there's... There's a lot of um, just just a lot of insight in in his games. Like he has such a, a deep understanding of chess, so I think you can learn a lot from that. You know what? You know what? Something uh, I've been doing recently as a way of learning and opening is um, I uh, I downloaded every single game uh that uh that Godakomsky has won with the London on chess.com in blitz. And I'm just going through them one by one as like solitaire chess, guess the move. Huh. It's sort of a weird training strategy, but I think I'm actually getting a lot out of it. Cause I'm just seeing how he's handling all these opening positions that I could get. So he's, he's another player. He actually has a, like a super underrated YouTube channel. Oh, wow. Yeah, so for someone who I've been, been looking at and learning from their games recently, hmm. I've been looking okay. at, at a bunch of his games. So your lame answer is Magnus Carlsen because yeah. he's the best, but your cool answer is Gatikomsky. Okay. I like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I'm going with for right now. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> All right, Nate. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, if you haven't checked out the chess gym yet, you should check it out. I, I like just having the calculation puzzles there is great. You get a solitaire chess each week. Uh, you get opponents to spar with. It's uh, it's a great simplified pared down program. Highly recommend it. So Nate, uh, where can people get a hold of you if they want to follow up with you? Maybe get some chess lessons. Uh, on on Twitter, 
uh, you can message me or, uh, yeah, I mean, for, for lessons, people can always just email me at nate.solon at gmail. Uh, if you're, if you're interested in coaching, send me a message. Okay. There you go. All right. Well, everybody, I hope this is the week that you gain millions of rating points. I mean, if you gain millions, you'd be the greatest player ever. So maybe even 10 would be good. Uh, if not, come back next week. We'll have another guest. We'll hopefully give you some insights into your game and how to improve. I'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.